In this first episode of Daryl's sermon series on John chapter 17 called Listening to Jesus Pray for Us, Daryl invites us to step into John's gospel with him and listen to Jesus' prayer to his Father. With the cross on the horizon, Jesus pours out his heart in the presence of his disciples, giving us a window into what he prays for us. This was the central request of the disciples, and here, in the intimacy of this moment, we too get to say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Here's Daryl on Jesus' response. It happens nearly every week. At one point or another, I began to feel overwhelmed. In the face of all the change in the world, in the city, in the church, in my family's life, I feel overwhelmed and then disoriented and even afraid. Anyone identify? Lord, I'm trying to keep up, but it is all too much. I'm losing my balance. I'm going to go down. Anyone identify with the feelings? It is then that I need to go to a place where I can regain perspective and thereby equilibrium. And the place to which I go the most is the 17th chapter of the Gospel according to John. Oh, I go to other places too, like Starbucks (laughs) or the gym or to the Psalms. Where would I be without the Psalms? Like the one I read this morning, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Or sometimes I go to the eighth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. That great chapter that begins with no condemnation ends with no separation, and in the middle speaks of God working all things for the good. But the place to which I especially long to go is John chapter 17. For more than any other place I know, the text takes us into the very center of the universe. More than any other text I know, the text takes us into the still point in the midst of a whirling world. Why? Because it is in John 17 that Jesus, the Word made flesh, prays. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things came into being by Him. And the Word became flesh and made His home among us. And after He had finished saying all these things, He lifted His eyes to heaven and said, Father, it is, of course, not the only place in the story where Jesus prays. The Gospels record many times when Jesus prays. He is, after all, known as the man of prayer. So much so, the only thing the disciples are recorded to have asked him to teach them is to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. There's no record of, Lord, teach us to lead. Lord, teach us to heal. Lord, teach us to preach. Just, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, most of the time, when we read of Jesus praying, he is off by himself. And we do not hear the words he is saying to the Father. But this time, in John 17, on the night before he goes to the cross, on the night when he began to feel overwhelmed, 
Jesus prays in the presence of the disciples. And they and we hear what he is saying to the Father. Father, 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 six times. Father, opening his heart to the one he trusts in the shadow of the cross. Whenever I feel overwhelmed and fear I'm losing my way, I go to John 17. I hear the Son of God pray to his Father. I hear God the Son pray to God the Father. I hear God on earth pray to God in heaven, and I can breathe again. So, on this Sunday and the next three, for four Sundays in a row, I invite you to come into what has rightly been called the Holy of Holies. I invite you to come with me into John 17 and simply listen to Jesus pray. That is all. Just listen. I'm not going to be asking anything of you. I'm not going to be telling you anything to do. Just listen. Four times. Just listen. Nothing fancy. Nothing sophisticated. Just listen to Jesus pray. Listen to the Son of Mary, Son of David, Son of Man, Son of God, Lamb of God, Savior of the world, Lord of the universe. Pray for you, for me, and for all those he calls to himself. Would you please stand for the reading of the Word of God? John 17. Jesus spoke these words, and lifting his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory I had before the world was. I manifested your name to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understand that I came forth from you, and they believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. For all things that are mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they are, themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you gave me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word. The world has hated them, because they are not of the world as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. 
I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world will know that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these know that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Why does Jesus this time pray in our hearing? Why does he this time let us hear what he is saying to his father? I think for three reasons. First, so that we might know what is on his heart. Jesus wants us to know his heart's desire. Earlier that night, he called the disciples friends. I no longer call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father. I've made made known to you. Friendship is all about sharing the most intimate thoughts of the mind and desires of the heart. Jesus has shared all that the father has shared with him. The most intimate thoughts of the Father's mind and the most intimate desires of the Father's heart. And now, in the growing shadow of the cross, Jesus shares with his Father, in the hearing of his disciples, the most intimate thoughts of his mind and the most intimate desires of his heart. Jesus really wants us to know his heart's desire. Second, Jesus prays in the disciples' hearing so that we might know what he will be praying when he ascends to the throne. He prays in our hearing on earth in AD 33 so that we might know what he'll be praying in heaven in 2015. The writer of the book of Hebrews says of the risen Jesus that he always lives to make intercession. And Jesus prays what he prays in John 17 in our hearing so that we might know the kinds of things Jesus is praying right now in the Father's presence. And third, Jesus prays in the hearing of the disciples so that we might be caught up in his praying. He opens his heart to his father so that we might enter into his heart and find our hearts beating with his heart. The one who records the prayer is the beloved disciple. The beloved disciple, says Rick Watts, is the disciple who has his head on Jesus' heart. He has his head on Jesus' heart, literally so, around the table. 
The beloved disciple remembers and passes on Jesus' prayer, making it possible for us to rest our heads on Jesus' heart so that our hearts begin to beat with the rhythm of his heart. And whenever I do it, whenever I rest my head on Jesus' heart in John 17, I find I can breathe again. Now, as we experienced when we just read it, this is a very thick prayer. <laughs> very thick. And it's easy to get bogged down. It's easy to lose our way. A few years ago, I found that the best way to get inside this thick prayer so that it gets under my thick skin, so to speak, is to ask, what does Jesus want? I submit to you, it's the second most important question we can ever ask. The first most important question is, who is Jesus? The second is, what does Jesus want? Not WWJD, what would Jesus do? But what does Jesus want? Three times in the prayer, he actually uses the verb ask. Verse 9, 15, and 20. Verse 9, I ask on their behalf. Verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world. Verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Now, the Greek word is eratao. It means to question or to interrogate. It means to ask something with great intensity to boldly request. Now, the New Testament uses this word a lot of people interrogating people, of people asking questions of people, of people making requests of people. But the New Testament never uses it of people interrogating God. It's too bold for that. It's never used of people asking God for something. It's never used as a synonym for prayer, except by John and only of Jesus. The only one who ever eratao's God is Jesus. Father, I eratao. The only person who can use this verb is now speaking to his father. He's the only person who is on the same level of the father. He's the only person who has the right to ask so boldly. Three times I ask. Each time with intensity and boldness. Asking the father to do what only the father can do. So, read John 17 asking, what does Jesus want? Simply stand in this space shaped by John 17 and ask, what does Jesus want? What does Jesus want for us? Not what does Jesus want from us. There is no from us in the text. Which is why I'm drawn to it when I am so overwhelmed. Jesus is asking the Father to act. He's not asking us to act. Not here anyway. He is not asking anything from us. He's not asking us to do anything. And I love going to that place. Verse 24. Father, I want. Or... Father, I desire. Although Jesus only uses this verb once in the prayer, I think it captures the spirit of his praying. I desire. 
fellow is the Greek word. It connotes strong determination. It connotes emotional engagement. It connotes intense fervor. Father, I desire. Father, this is my deepest desire. Father, this is my heart's desire. So, read John 17 asking, what does Jesus desire? Oh my. Verse 1. Haven't spoken these things. Meaning, Jesus has now finished his teaching ministry. Haven't spoken these things. The things recorded previously in the Gospel of John. Jesus, lifting his eyes to heaven, said, Father, the hour has come. The hour. Trace Jesus' use of this word hour through the rest of John. And we discover that it is the hour of revelation. It is the moment that Jesus decisively reveals who he is and therefore who the Father is. My hour has not yet come, he said to his mother at the wedding in Cana. My hour has not yet come, he said to his brothers who were wanting him to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, you trace this word hour, continue tracing the word hour through the rest of the Gospel of John. And you also discover it's the hour of being seized by violent men who want to destroy Jesus. Later on at the Feast of Tabernacles, John says, They were seeking to seize him. No one laid their hands on him because his hour had not yet come. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. No one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Somehow these two things go together. The great moment of revelation and the moment when he is violently seized. Which means Jesus is now praying in the valley of the shadow of death. In the face of death, our ultimate concerns begin to dominate, don't they? In the face of death, they begin to rise to the surface. We are now going to hear the deepest desire of the heart of Jesus Christ. Ready? Listen. Verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the, that the Son may glorify you. There it is. In the opening line, the most fundamental longing of Jesus' heart. Father, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now glorify me together with yourself, Father, with the glory I had with you before the world was. Verse 24. Father, I desire that those you have given me be with me where I am, in order that they may behold my glory which you have given me. It's the driving force of Jesus' life. It is the deep, deep drumbeat of Jesus' being. Glory and glorified. Now, we have met these terms over the past few months as we have been living in the Gospel of John. Let me take a moment and review what we have learned. Doxa is the Greek word, comes into the English language in words like doxology, which simply mean a word of glory. Kavod is the Hebrew word, which I do not think comes into any English word except the name ikavod, which means where is the glory? Both doxa and kavod have the nuance of luminosity, shining forth. 
So in the Christmas story, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Both doxa and kavod have the nuance of weightiness. The basic meaning of kavod is something weighty, the heaviness of a thing or a person. When the temple Solomon built was dedicated, it was filled with glory. The space was heavy, weighty. There was a divine gravitas. So you have luminosity and weightiness. And both doxa and glory have the nuance of essence. The doxa of a thing or a person is its or their essence. The kavod of a thing or a person is its or their essence. So, Moses prays, show me your glory. It's the boldest prayer prayed before John 17. Show me your glory. It is a prayer that God reveal the divine essence. That God reveal what it is that makes God be God. Which is why when the Hebrew Bible is translated into Greek, it renders Moses' prayer, show me yourself. Show me your glory. Show me yourself. Pull back that curtain that shields your essence and show me who and what you are. Glory. Glorify. The verb means to honor. And it means to manifest. Honor the essence. And manifest the essence. Father, the hour has come. Glorify me that I may glorify you. It is the deepest desire of Jesus' heart. Honor me that I may honor you. Manifest my essential nature and character in the world that I might manifest your essential nature and character in the world. As I've said before, we will not understand Jesus. We will not understand the call to discipleship. We will not understand the call to ministry unless we get this. In fact, I'll submit to you. We will not understand the purpose of creation. We will not understand the meaning of history unless we get this. Jesus the Son lives and dies to honor his Father. Jesus lives and dies to manifest the glory of his Father. To manifest who the Father is and what the Father is like. And the Father has the same desire for his Son. To honor and manifest who his Son truly is. Verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. I glorified you on earth. Jesus is saying that in every deed he did, in every word he spoke, he was glorifying his Father. He was honoring and manifesting the very essence of the luminous, weighty God. Now, John, then the, John the Apostle, makes this clear in the way he has put together his whole gospel, as we have seen over the past five months. In the first half of his work, in chapters 2 through 11, John gathers together a number of selected events in the life and ministry of Jesus. He calls them signs. He then brackets all of these by the word glory. In chapter 2, after Jesus' first great sign, turning water into wine, John says, and so Jesus manifested his glory. And then in chapter 11... Just before Jesus' last great sign, the raising of Lazarus, Jesus says, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? I have glorified you on earth. I think it is the lens 
through which we are to read the story of Jesus' life and ministry. At a wedding, Jesus turns water into wine. Yes, he is meeting human need. But at a more fundamental level, he is acting to manifest the essence of the living God. He turns water into wine to glorify his Father. He cleanses the temple to make it a place for worship. Yes, he is meeting real human need. But at another level, a more profound level, he is acting to manifest the essence of the living God. The Son is glorifying his Father. In Samaria, he reaches out to an ostracized woman and offers her, offers her living water. Yes, he is meeting real human need. But at a dip, deeper level, he is acting to manifest the essence of the living God. In reaching out to the Samaritan woman, the Son is glorifying his Father. Jesus heals a man who had been lame for 38 years. Again, he is responding to human need. But at a more profound level, he is manifesting the essence of the living God. Jesus heals the lame to glorify his Father. Jesus is teaching by the shore of the Sea of Galilee. People are hungry, 5,000 of them. He takes five loaves of bread and two fish, and with them he feeds the 5,000, and there are a number of leftovers. Yes, Jesus is responding to real human need, but he's acting to manifest the essence of the glorious God. In feeding the hungry, the Son is honoring his Father. Please, Lord, do this for the people of Nepal. Later, during the Feast of Tabernacles, some Pharisees barge in on a man and woman who are not married to each other having sex. They grab the woman and take her out into the courtyard and stand her before Jesus. They say, in our law, it says that such a woman should be stoned to death. What do you say, Jesus? Jesus says, whoever is without the stone, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. John says they all begin to leave beginning with the oldest because the oldest know their sin and the oldest know most they don't have a right to throw a stone. Jesus is left with this woman all alone. He says to her, where did they go? Does no one condemn you? She says, no one, Lord. He says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. That is the son glorifying his father. Jesus meets a blind man. Gives him sight. Yes, he's meeting real human need. But at a more profound level, he is moving to manifest the essence of the living God. In giving sight to the blind, the son is glorifying his father. In Bethany, which is about three and a half kilometers over the hill from Jerusalem, Lazarus has died. He's been in the tomb four days. Lazarus' sisters are weeping. Jesus is deeply moved by their grief. Jesus' chest heaves with sorrow. He is manifesting the essence of the glorious God. Jesus goes to the tomb and he weeps. He's manifesting the essence of the glorious God, a God who weeps before the pain of the world. Remove the stone, he says. Lord, says Mary, by this time there's going to be a stench. He's been there four days. Jesus responds, did I not tell you that if you believed you'd see the glory of God? Jesus cries out, Lazarus, come forth. And he does. A dead man walks out of the tomb at the extreme Helplessness of the human condition. Jesus manifests the essence of the living God. Jesus raises the dead to glorify his Father. 
I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And you know there's more. The second half of the Gospel of John, chapter 12 and following, Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, what John Calvin called the theater of glory. Jesus declares the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Father, glorify your name. Show the fullness of your glory. Show the world who you are and what you are like. Show the world what it means for you to be God. Now is the moment. And that's when Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus falling into the ground is going to glorify his father. Jesus dying in the ground is going to glorify his father. Thursday evening. Jesus has gathered his disciples in the upper room around a table. He rises from the table. He lays aside his outer garments. He takes a basin and some, a towel. He gets down and washes his disciples' feet. Yes, he is declaring to them how much he loves them. But at a deeper level, he is now manifesting the glory of his Father. In washing feet, the Son is glorifying his Father. A few hours later, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas and the religious leaders, accompanied by the Roman soldiers, come to arrest Jesus. He does not resist. They haul him off to Annas and Caiaphas and Pilate. Pilate has him scourged. The soldiers thrust a crown of thorns on his head. They hit him in the face. Jesus does not retaliate. The Son is glorifying his Father by not retaliating. They take Jesus out and make him carry his cross to the hill called Golgotha. They lay the cross on the ground. They lay Jesus on the beams. They nail his hands and feet to the wood. In his helplessness, the Son is glorifying the Father. They lift up the cross. They drop it in a hole. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Yes, he is extending unexpected mercy to those who crucified him. But at a deeper level, he is magnifying the glory of his father. It is finished, he says. He bows his head. He gives up his spirit. Glory? This honors and manifests the essence of the living God? Yes, John knows the mystery. John, the man who rested his head on Jesus' heart, knows the mystery that the essence of the luminous, weighty God is finally manifested, not in a burst of light and not in some dazzling display of raw power. The essence of the luminous, weighty God is finally manifested in the Son taking upon himself the sin of the world, bearing in himself what we justly deserve. Yes, on the cross. Yes, on the cross. Yes, on the cross. Jesus is meeting the greatest of human needs, but he is also, and more fundamentally, manifesting the very essence of God. In dying for the sin of the world, the Son is glorifying his Father. The Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. It's the deepest desire of his heart. And he knows where this is going to go. He knows how this prayer is going to be answered. I finished the work you gave me to do. So resolved is Jesus to glorify his Father by going to the cross. That before the cross, he prays using the past tense. I finished the work you gave me to do. I, too, want to be able to say that when my time comes. I finished the work you gave me to do. 
I did not do all there was to do. I did not do all I could have done. I did not do all that others expected of me. I did not do all I expected of me. But I did do what you call me to do. The deepest desire of Jesus' heart is the glory of his Father. Yes, he desires our salvation, our being made whole, right? He desires our salvation. St. Irenaeus says, the glory of God is a human being made fully alive. But our salvation is not the driving force of Jesus' life and ministry. G. Campbell Morgan put it this way. The deepest passion of Jesus' heart was not the saving of men and women, but the glory of God. Then the saving of men and women, because it is for the glory of God. Some of you will remember the song, Above All. Remember that? Above all, above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man. You were there before the world began above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders. The world has ever known above all wealth and the treasures of the earth. There's no way to measure what you're worth. Crucified, laid behind the stone. You live to die, rejected and alone. Like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. You took the fall and thought of me above all. Thought of me above all? Yes, he thought of me and you and the whole world as he took the fall, but not above all. He did not think of me above all. He did not think of you above all. He took the fall and thought of him above all. He thought of the Father above all. He took the fall to glorify the Father above all, to honor the Father, to manifest the nature and character of the Father. He took the fall to show the world for all time who the Father is. So what does Jesus want? A lot, as we're going to discover in the next three weeks, a lot. But from the opening line, he prays what he most wants for us. He wants us to know the glory of his father. He wants us to know so that the world will know the full extent of his self-emptying love of the father. He wants us to experience so that the father will, the world will experience the full embrace of the scandalously glorious love of God. As I rest my head on Jesus' heart and simply listen to him pray his heart, my heart gets realigned and recentered, and I can breathe again, for I realize that it is all about God. It is not about me. It is not about you. It is not about the church. It is not about the city. It's not about Canada. It's not about the world. It's not about creation. It's not about humanity. It is about God. It all comes down to God. Everything comes down to God. And I find my heart crying out. Father, the hour has come. Do whatever you need to do and want to do. So that you can manifest your glory in and through me. In Jesus' name.
Amen.